Hello, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to help others find meaning and mission in following Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new sermon series, Acts, Church on the Move. In this series, we follow the expansion of the early church. Even in the midst of persecution, we see the church experience tremendous growth through the power of God and staying faithfully committed to the Word and community. Uh, This is now our sixth sermon uh, through the book of Acts as we're walking through and seeing the church on the move as God empowers His church people through the Holy Spirit and how God sets in motion the things that are about to take over the world and change the whole world. And so I've been excited studying through it. And this morning I'm looking forward to sharing with you uh, what God has given us. Is We're going to cover a lot of verses today. Are you ready? Uh, about over 60 verses today. <laughs> I think it's a new world record. <laughs> Not a world record, but a new record. I was in a sermon one time uh, that was about three hours of preaching. One guy, and he covered a lot of verses, so I don't know. I'm not going to try to break any records like that today. I promise you uh, we'll get out of here on time uh, unless I see you dozing off, and then I'll just stop, and we'll just stay, stay there for a little while. But uh, I hope that you'll stay with me today. The book of Acts will be in chapter 6 is where we start uh, here in just a moment. Now, one of the things that I love uh, in life, one of the things that I enjoy is, uh, is watching movies. I'm not afraid to admit that. Uh, I think most people would say they like to watch movies. They like to uh, hear stories and, and uh, uh, situations. Uh, for me, I'm kind of a big fan of alternative history. If you guys, that sort of genre where it's like, what if this had not happened, then this would have happened. And I kind of, you know, your mind kind of gets all twisted and you're, you're trying to figure out what it would be like. And you wonder, you know, we've all done that personally, you know. I wonder what this world would be like if I wasn't here. It would probably be so much better, right? No, we said, that's a lie, by the way. Uh, that's not true. Um, but, you know, we, we like to think of these things. And, and I like movies, but particularly the genre of movie that I like is true stories. I love true stories. I love to watch a, a, a movie about a, a real-life story um, that uh, reveals to us somebody who, honestly, in our eyes, we would consider a hero. And uh, that's why I love Disney Plus so much. Uh, because Disney, throughout the years, has done a great job of capturing real-life heroes, real stories of people that have made a difference in this world. And, and I love watching those. And, and so with the boys, we've been having them watch, you know, and stories about great dogs, you know, that changed the world. And uh, stories about football teams and basketball teams and all of these different uh, stories out there about people who sacrificed and, and gave a lot. And, and one of the things that you find uh, when you watch a movie about about a heroic moment or a person who did something incredible is that often you don't know a whole lot about their past. Sure, there might be some flashbacks in the movie, but we really don't know a ton about their past because the movie is focused around a central moment, around a central uh, event that took place in their life that really set the tone uh, for why they are a hero or why we would look to them or why even a movie would be made about them. And today, that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts, chapter number six. Today, we are going to see the story of a real-life hero a real life hero, someone that to us, we should look up to as Christians, somebody that we should pay attention to their story and learn a lot from. And like many stories that we see, uh, we do not know a whole lot about uh, this person that we're going to study today. Um, But we do have this one situation that's given to us in scripture that is a defining moment of his life. And for believers all around the world, it's a defining story for us as well. Now, unlike a lot of heroic stories, this does not end in a feel-good kind of way, riding off into the sunset, you know, uh, a family reunited, uh, a, 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 a country saved from 
for sure destruction. It doesn't end in that way. In fact, this story ends with the death, and this person that we're going to talk about today is, in fact, known more for how he died than for how he lived. Now, we were first introduced to him last week in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, as he was one of those seven honest men who were of good report, who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was one of those seven men that were chosen by the local church to help and serve and care for the needs of the rapidly growing church in Jerusalem. Remember, Satan had been at work ever since the day of Pentecost. He'd been at work with external attacks, imprisonment, beatings. He'd also been at work with internal attacks, with bringing problems within the church family, trying to cause division. But yet, despite uh, all of the, the difficulty that Satan tried to bring to the church, the thing was is that God was still receiving the glory in all of it. God was still being lifted up. God had still gotten the victory and the initial growth of the, ha- of the gospel was still happening. We see this in verse number seven. It says, and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. What's that word? Greatly. I mean, this is a, this is a vast uh, uh, multiplication that was taking place. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, I love that. That's probably one of my favorite phrases in, that we've studied so far is the fact that the priests who were so uh, stuck in their religious ways and so stuck in their religious traditions, they had their eyes open to the truth of Jesus Christ. And they also were coming to the faith. And the thing that we need to remember is that we have an all-powerful God, but we also have a relentless enemy. That's the uh, consistent pattern that we've seen throughout the book. We have an all-powerful God who is far greater than any struggles and any problems and, and trials that come our way, but we also have a relentless enemy. And he continually brings attacks against us and against our lives and What we're going to see as we sort of uh, today transition into a new section in the life of the early church is that we're going to see that the persecution the church had received up until this point was really just the tip of the iceberg of what was to come. The, the, The beatings, the imprisonment, the internal attacks, it is just a small blip on the radar of what was about to come to the church and the, and really a great amount of persecution was just about to start, and it was directed specifically at the man we're going to talk about today, a man whose name was Stephen. Now Stephen, back in verse number five, was a man who was described as a man who was full of faith, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And in our passage today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this uh, really iconic story of Stephen, and we're going to see uh, how he is an example to each of us of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a story of the first Christian martyr. And we learn from him that before a person can give their life for the gospel, they're going to have to learn to live a life that's defined by the gospel. As well, we're going to see how Stephen is an amazing example of somebody who's willing to live, to speak, and to die for Jesus Christ. I told some people before uh, we started the service today, I said, today's message is kind of a downer, honestly. (laughs) It's a challenge. It's 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 a sad story. But I want to also tell you, I'll give you a heads up, there is a a good ending at the end of it once we get through it. But it's really a sobering, it's a sobering message. As Stephen here goes through the most defining moment in his life, it's what he is known uh, known for for the generations to come and thousands of years after. And we truly can learn from his bold example. He is a hero of the faith. That's the title of my message today, a true hero of the faith. And he's someone that we can learn a lot from. And so, number one this morning as we get into our notes, and like I said, I'm going to try to move pretty quickly through uh, the story as best as I, can, as I can. But the first thing that we learn from Stephen's testimony is that Stephen lived like Jesus. Stephen lived like Jesus. I want to begin reading in verse number eight of Acts chapter six. 
It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia. And here's what they were doing. They were disputing with Stephen. They were disputing with Stephen. Now we know already from last week's message that he was someone who had been chosen by the church to serve the people. He had done it so that the apostles could study the word of God, give themselves to prayer and ministering in that spiritual way. And so he was a servant of the people. But what we see here is that he uh, went uh, above and beyond in essence through the power of God to do some incredible things. Notice here his characteristics that we see. We see here that he was full of faith right there in verse uh, number eight. It was a defining characteristic for him. What that means is that Stephen was somebody who had a conviction based upon specific truths. And those specific truths that he had convictions on were the fact that Jesus Christ uh, was the Messiah of Israel. He was the Savior of the world. And nothing could turn him from that because to Stephen, faith was simply believing that God was who he said he was and that God was going to do what he said he would do. And so he was a man of great faith. If you want to simplify it for you in your life, that's what you need to know. You need to know and trust that God is who he says he is in his word and that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And at the basis level, church, that's where we all need to be, trusting in God. That's what it means to have great faith. And Stephen had great faith. We're going to see how that plays out here in just a moment. But the other thing that we see here is that he had power as well. It says that he was full of faith and power. Now, now the Greek word behind uh, the word power is a lot of fun. And the reason it's a lot of fun is it's the word uh, dynamis, which is where we get dynamite from. So people of Stephen said, man, that guy is dynamite. I think that's what they said about Stephen. I mean, he was a powerful guy. Things happen. Now, that doesn't mean that he was uh, blowing up stuff all the time. But what, what it means is that wherever he went, things were happening. Things were, uh, things were going on, and, and as he trusted in the power of God, as he labored among the people, he received a special, uh, a special a dose of sign gifts that he was able to actually be a part of healing people and, and serving them in a very, very special way. But I want you to notice that this power was never used for himself. It was always used to bring glory to God. It was for serving the people. And Stephen made an incredible impression just in the few months that we know about him. He made an incredible impression on the local church, but we also see that he made an impression on the local Jewish establishment as well. Those in leadership who were looking for a way to stop the spread of the gospel. And so we see there in verse 9 that there arose certain of the synagogue, and then they named these different uh, synagogue, uh, p- different synagogues here. Uh, interestingly enough, the Libertines, sometimes we feel that that might have been a, uh, maybe you understand that as being a place since the other ones were places, but the Libertines is actually, it, it literally means freed men. This was a, a synagogue that had been uh, built for the people that had been captive in Rome that had been released. And so they had that common identity and they had their own synagogue. But then we noticed there was people coming from different uh, places as well. And so they gathered these uh, people together. Think of like the young hotshot lawyers all getting together from these different synagogues and they're like you know we're gonna put an end to this Stephen and so they bring Stephen and all these young guys start debating with him and disputing with him notice as well one of the regions here that uh it comes from is the Cyrenians or sorry of Cilicia you see that now Cilicia is interesting I'm just gonna put this out there for you but Cilicia is interesting because it had a major seaport that was called Tarsus and so it very well could be that in this time of disputing That Paul, later Paul, Saul of Tarsus, debated Stephen one-on-one before the events to come. 
So they got there and they debated, but I want you to notice the outcome. I love this in verse 10. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Isn't that great? No matter what they threw at him, they could not resist the way that he responded to them. And it was because Stephen was a man who was filled with wisdom that was not his own. It was wisdom that came from God. It gave him insight into the scripture. And from the very word of God, as we'll see in a few minutes, he was able to uh, dispute with them and prove to them how Jesus claimed to be and how he met every single requirement of the Messiah. I mean, think about being there as, as Stephen, still relatively new in the things of Christ, maybe just a few years old, as he disputed uh, and articulated and defended Jesus the Messiah with passion and with confidence against the brightest minds that these people could send his way. And it says that they couldn't resist how he responded to them. Man, that's amazing to me. And so from that statement in verse 10, and from verse number 11, I believe that those men left that synagogue after disputing, defeated, tail between their legs, humiliated. How do we know that? We'll look at verse 11. Then they suburned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. You say, how do we know that, that they lost the debate? Well, because when they realized they couldn't debate with him, they couldn't, uh, get, uh, uh, they couldn't argue anything against what he was saying, they resorted to what they did with Jesus, which was bribing people. As a suburb means, it means to bribe or otherwise induce by fear, threatenings, however they could. And they threatened them and they, they, they convinced these men to come forward and to give false witness against Stephen. They accused him. They said, we want you to accuse him of the crime of blasphemy against Moses and against God, which in, in the Jewish society, Jewish society in that day, that was a crime that was punishable by death. So these guys knew what they were doing. When they went and found false witnesses, they're saying, we need you to come and you need to accuse him of blasphemy. Well, don't you know that means that he, that's guilty of, by death? You know, or that's punishable by death? Yeah, we know that. But that's what we want you to do. And so they convinced these men to come and be false, uh, false witnesses. And so verse 12, look what happened. Because of their false witness, they stirred up the people. And the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. So these men made the, the accusation and they went and they grabbed him. Verse 13, and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. I mean, that's a big, big statement. This guy was speaking against everything that we believe. And what had started as a debate now turned into a full-blown Sanhedrin council with the power to judge Stephen severely. This was not a discussion anymore. I want you to understand. This, had, this was no longer a debate. False witness after false witness was brought forth. They deliberately put words into Stephen's mouth. And the words that they put into his mouth carried with it the weight of death upon him. Well, after all of these accusations, we come to verse number 15 where it says, and all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. This is a really interesting verse. I mean, they just, they just blow this guy up. They come after him, all these false accusations. Now, I know for me, I, I know how my face would look if I faced wave after wave of false accusations. <laughs> I know how my face has been if I faced false accusations. It's a struggle. But it definitely wouldn't be as the face of an angel. I don't think I could be described that way. It'd be a face of sorrow. It'd be a face of maybe of anger, of, of disgust, depending on what the accusations were. 
But here we see Stephen with a joy upon his face like no other man in that room. Here it's described to us as a face of an angel. It had a brightness to it. Some even believe that maybe it was an outward revelation of what was happening in his heart. It was God maybe revealing to them again, trying again to show these men that he was of God. Certainly, of course, there's the idea and maybe the reminder of how Moses' face looked when he came off the mountain after meeting with God Mount Sinai and he came down and says that his face shone like an angel as well. That might have been another sign from God. Don't you guys get it? Especially the Sadducees who were all about Moses. Don't you see? Don't you see? He is of God. And his face just shone like an angel there. And Stephen just stood before them. He didn't respond at this point. They just sat there and looked at him. And his face was shining like an angel. You know, Stephen, I want you to notice, in his final day on this earth, lived as Jesus lived. Did you see that? He's full of faith. He's full of wisdom. And he had grace, even though he was suffering false accusations and attacks. Now, for us, when we look at that, we say, well, that's easy. If I knew that this was going to be my last day on the earth, of course I'd live like Jesus. Of course my face would shine like an angel. Of course I would, you know, I'd be able to endure everything uh, because it was my last day on earth. But the thing is, is that God desires for us to live this way every day in Christ-likeness. 1 John 2, 6 tells us, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. That means every day we are to be walking and living as Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves the question, does our everyday life bear testimony to his grace in our lives? Do we live like Stephen in confident faith, experiencing God's power through us, not in miracles of healing, but in victorious, a vibrant life? By the way, what God has delivered many of you from are miracles. I hope you understand that. Where you once were, as opposed to where you are now, the fact that you're not there anymore, that is a miracle of God itself. The thing that he has done in your life and the victory that you receive, some of you don't struggle with certain sins any longer. That's a miracle. That's the grace of God that is in your life. And uh, Stephen is a great example to us of how we can live like Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end here as we get to our second point. We also see how Stephen spoke like Jesus. Stephen spoke like Jesus. In verse number one of Acts chapter seven, then said the high priest, are these things so? Well, what is he asking about? He's asking about the false accusations. And so he says to him, is this true? By the way, this is a question that he would later wish he had never asked. <laughs> because Stephen is about to respond with one of the most clear and powerful messages that we find with Scripture. It is the longest recorded message in the Bible. And he's not even an apostle. The longest recorded message. And it is blunt, it is direct, it is chronological, and it reminds these men here of the history of Israel and how they have habitually rejected any leader that God has set up. Now, we're not going to read the next 53 verses. <laughs> Some of you look very nervous. But I think you should read it. I think you should read it. I think you should take, not right now, <laughs> after church, when you go home, after you have lunch, and you're like, I need to take a nap, just get your Bible out and read these 53 verses. And you need to see and feel the power of it. But I'm going to give you a quick run through of what it looks like because it is an incredible message and in fact Stephen follows a pattern that Jesus would often use in his messages the first thing that he would do is there was the confronting of sin in his message there was always that right at the very beginning he accused them again and reminded them that they had murdered Jesus he reminded them of that fact he also reminded them about their historical past of rejecting God sent leaders Israel always rejected the leaders that God sent their way always it's no surprise and he reminded them about their history. 
But as well, he reminded them of God's love for his people as well. How did he do that? He reminded them by talking about the tabernacle. He reminded them by talking about the temple. And what were those two things representative of? They were representative of the presence of God. You know what? The fact that God wants to be with us is a great example of his love for us. For the children of Israel, it was the tabernacle that was with them, the Ark of the Covenant, and then there was the temple, that representation of God's love, the fact that he wanted to dwell with his people. For us today, we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us, which is a perfect example of God's great love for us. That the fact that the almighty God of heaven would want to be around this messed up guy is an amazing thing. And yet he loves us in that way that he wants to be with us. And so he reminded them of that. He also, within that, reminded them how they had made the temple about themselves rather, about th- rather than about God. And he also, just along as Jesus did, he was challenging them to get right with God as well. He moved to the end of his message to them, and it was a very critical point. He responded brilliantly to all the accusations, but he wanted to drive home an application point to them especially to these men who stood before him in the Sanhedrin, men who had still not broken the cycle of sin that had been passed down to them from their ancestors. And he said it this way in verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That was like an insult. That was a blow. He says, you guys are like the unbelieving Gentiles. Look what he says. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Man, that's like, it's right to the point, isn't it? He's saying, you guys always resist. Why are you resisting the Holy Spirit? I might say that to you today. It's not in my message. It's not a part of my thoughts. But maybe some of you are resisting the Holy Spirit today and you habitually resist the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Why? Why would you do that? It's God. He loves you. He cares for you. And he says to these guys, do not resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Verse 52, which of the prophets have your fathers, uh, have not your fathers persecuted? Which one of them haven't they persecuted? And, and they have slain them, which uh, showed before of the coming of the just one. Notice that's in capital, capital letters there. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Again, he brings it back to what they did to Jesus. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. See, not only had the Jews killed the prophets who had predicted the coming of the righteous one, of Jesus Christ, but they had betrayed and murdered their Messiah. The children of Israel had rejected, back in the past, their deliverer Moses from the start to the finish of his ministry. They had deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though, as he says here, you received it from the hands of angels, you still resisted it. And God himself had been rejected by their constant, uh, in their past, their ancestors' constant move into idolatry and then repentance and getting right and then back into idolatry. And then when it came time for the Messiah, the righteous one, he was the latest victim of their rebellion as a people. To us today as Christians, we read this and we think this is an amazing moment. Something incredible is going to happen right here. They're going to repent. They're going to turn to Christ. Man, it's gonna, things are just going to start happening. This is an amazing moment. But what we see is that his words enraged the people listening in an incredible way. Verse 54 tells us, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. This doesn't mean that they gnawed on him, just so you know. <laughs> they all run up and start taking bites out of him. But the conviction was so deep, yet they still hardened their hearts once again. 
And we shake our heads at this. We say, what are they doing? But we do the same thing, don't we? Under conviction, harden my heart. God brings conviction, harden my heart. It's a pattern. And it says that they gnashed their teeth. What that means is that they were grinding their teeth in anger. Like a pack of hungry wolves circling for the kill. Somebody once said that a pastor knows he's in trouble when the congregation frowns at him. But he's in real trouble when they start grinding their teeth. <laughs> Imagine, they were, they were clenching. They were, I mean, have you ever been that angry before? I'm sure you have. Imagine a room full of people just, man, they were, they were just spitting mad, grinding their teeth. The example that I want us to see here, how he spoke like Jesus, is that even though Stephen's death was imminent, and, and don't, be, don't be deceived that he didn't know what was coming, even though his death was imminent, even though he was saying something that was extremely unpopular to these men, he still stood and he still preached with boldness, just as Jesus did throughout his ministry. And today the lesson for us is that we also need to be willing to continually give an unpopular message to the world that is around us. Now we may never have an opportunity like Stephen to stand and preach to a crowd of people, but every single day, church, through our lives, through our actions, we give testimony to whose we are. Through our lives, through the way that we speak, through the way that we act. Here's the thing. Stephen would have loved to have the opportunity to share the gospel through social media like we have today. If you think about it, you don't think that Peter would be a live stream maniac? (laughs) You don't think that James would have every morning flipped on his uh, phone and started broadcasting to the world the news that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that you can be forgiven of your sin through a relationship with him? You don't think that they would have taken advantage of the tools that we have today? To them, it would have seemed just mind-blowing uh, what, what, uh, what they could have done with what we have. But yet we say, well, I, I'll never have that opportunity. You have an opportunity every single day to live for Jesus Christ. We have the potential to be a light for Christ around the world like never before. And so a great question for us to ask ourselves is simply, does our social feed point other people to Jesus? You say, well, that's being very specific, Pastor. Yeah, it is. I'm asking myself that same question because often it doesn't reflect that. Often our social feeds reflect ourselves, right? What we want people to notice, the things that we want them to know about us. And so we've got to be bold, church. We've got to be willing to put ourselves out there, even if it means that somebody may not like you. (laughs) I think Peter was thinking about Stephen when he said this in 1 Peter chapter 3, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's a great verse right there. We need to be ready to give an answer. Stephen didn't have a bunch of prep time. He wasn't like, yeah, yeah, I'll debate you guys tomorrow. Like I need to go home and get all my books together and put a bunch of stuff on my phone so I've got it to talk to you. He was ready. He was ready. Verse 16 says, and having a good conscience, that talks about how the way we approach things. Sometimes we're not ready to give an answer because there's sin in our heart. We're not ready to give an answer because there's already something going on that we need to get right with the Lord. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That's the testimony of Stephen. They were ashamed uh, because they tried to accuse him and he was able to give an answer. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. I think Paul wrote this in Romans 1.17 thinking about Stephen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I think Paul was thinking about Stephen as he wrote these messages for us. Church, we need to be bold. We need to be ready to give an answer. We need to be ready to speak like Jesus Christ. And that's only possible through the illuminating spirit. 
The Spirit is what gives us wisdom. Many of you have had this experience in your life. Somebody asked you a question about your faith and you gave an answer and later on you're like, that was awesome. <laughs> that was a really good answer. And you're like, I don't know where that came from. You know what it came from? It came from the Holy Spirit. It speaks through us. And so we gotta be prepared, know the word. And when that time comes, the Holy Spirit will help you. It's not a weird like speaking in your ear, but it's just there's a wisdom that comes from knowing the word and from knowing God that is not explainable to an unsaved person. And we're thankful for that. That's kind of our thing. <laughs> That's what we have together that we're thankful for. And so Stephen knew the word and he was able and bold enough to speak the truth, but it was falling on deaf ears. And so that brings us to our final point, how Stephen died like Jesus. Stephen died like Jesus. Stephen's sermon, that was 53 verses, that long message was his death warrant. But he was standing bold. He had lived like Christ he had spoken like Christ, and now we're going to see that he would die like Christ. And so in response to his spirit-filled message that they wanted to silence, you have to imagine the Sanhedrin just completely lost it. Remember in verse 54, it says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. And then, verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. Is there anything more childish than this? really and we say oh this is so childish they stopped their ears and they ran upon him with one accord isn't it funny though how uh, extreme moments of anger cause us to do childish things respond childishly All right, so we can understand that you ever said something just totally out of revenge childishness because of your anger right so we, we get it that's what happened here they covered their ears they're so angry and they ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. These respected, dignified leaders of the people descended on Stephen and they executed him. What was happening here was brutal. It was immoral, but they did not care. The way that it would often happen is that they would take a person outside of the city. If they were, to be, if they were condemned to stoning, they would take him out of the city. They would throw them down into a pit or a, 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 sometimes they would dig out a pit specifically for stoning. And they would throw that person down in there. And then the witnesses, the ones who had brought false witness to that person, were the first ones to throw the boulders upon them. So now we have people who are convinced, coerced, paid off to give false witness. And now it's those very people who are the ones responsible to throw the first stones. And, and again, we have this mindset of them just picking up little baseball rocks and, yeah, you know, yelling. and every, Listen, they would have started out with big ones first. I'm talking boulders that you could lift above your head and throw down upon a person. That was the point of them being in a low. They could not escape. And so they would rain these rocks down on them, great stones on them, followed then by stones by the crowd. Once those first witnesses threw theirs, then everybody else could get involved in it. There's an author by the name of Frederick uh, Bushner. He described it this way. He said, stoning somebody to death, especially someone as young and healthy as Stephen, is not easy. You have to remember how old he was a young, younger man. It's not easy. You do not get the job done with the first few stones. And even after you get a man down, it's a long, hot, difficult business. To prepare themselves for this workout, they would strip down to the waist and they get somebody to keep an eye on their things until they were through. Sometimes we wonder, why would they lay down there? Well, it's because they were getting ready to go to work. This is not an easy thing to be lifting up and throwing boulders. Sure, they might knock them out. Sure, he might fall to the ground. But to finish somebody off, it takes a lot of work to get that kill blow, to get that, that man finished off. It would have been brutal. And as they throw the boulders down on Stephen, and we see this ambassador of Christ die this terrible death, 
in the middle of the passage, we see also something of incredible beauty in verse number 55. And he, being full of the Holy Ghost, that tells us that it is possible to be spirit-filled in difficult times. So for us to say and make excuses for how we react and how we speak because we are under stress, it's not that big of an excuse considering he was filled with the Spirit while they were literally ending his life. Full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. That again is counter what you would do in a pit when people are throwing rocks on you, (laughs) to look up. He looked up steadfastly into heaven And look at this, and saw the glory of God. And this is so neat. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, this is what he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. As he lifted up his eyes there to heaven, he caught a glimpse of heaven and the glory of God. Now this, this is so interesting. Normally in scripture, when you see a description of Jesus next to the father, we always see him seated at the right hand of the Father, don't we? But yet in this passage, we see Jesus standing. Standing at the right hand of the Father. You could make a case for a lot of different things, but I believe it's because he was standing to welcome. Yeah. He was standing to receive his servant home. There's no greater or more honorable reception to have Jesus standing at one's entrance into his presence. Some believe that he was standing because that was the posture of someone being a witness. He was the one witness standing in the defense of Stephen. But Jesus was standing there welcoming him home. Verse 59 says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, slay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As those boulders struck him, as they broke his bones, as they crushed his flesh, his blood would be coming out of his body. He called upon the Lord who loved him and the one who gave himself for Stephen. And he said, Lord, receive my spirit. He was ready to leave this world for a better place. And then it says that he dropped to his knees and he prayed this final prayer, a prayer for those who were doing their very best to silence him. And he prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You say, where did he learn to pray like that in the middle of suffering? If you just take a moment to reflect, it would remind you of the Lord Jesus as he hung upon the cross, as he died for the sins of the human race. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's where Stephen learned to pray. You know, Stephen had done his best to live like the Savior, and now he was about to die, still following the example that the Lord Jesus had given to him. To think for a moment that he was literally praying for the very ones who were in that moment taking his life is a powerful testament to the grace of God, to the fact that God can give us grace in difficult circumstances, and it's a testimony to us of Stephen's true heart. See, death will ultimately reveal what we truly are. And there's a lot of interesting studies of of people who have died in the past and how it revealed a part of them as they died and what they said. But Stephen's martyr's death was as Christ did die as well. 
and he stood tall because of the grace of God in his life. So you have to ask the question, was this worth it? Was it all worth it? Now, I think Stephen would say that it was worth it. And here's why I think Stephen would say it's worth it today, because the prayer that he prayed right at the end as he was about to, to die was a prayer that God answered. And the prayer that God answered was a prayer through that answer was something that changed the world. You have to remember, it was not that much farther in the not-too-distant future that on a dusty road, Saul, the young man who possibly debated with him, the young man we know who stood, as Acts chapter 8 tells us, was consenting unto his death, the one who, yeah, I'll watch your clothes while you finish him off, that man came face-to-face with the same Jesus that Stephen saw that day. And Saul was glorious saved, given a new name, changed forever, and changed the world, (laughs) wrote most of the New Testament. And God did answer that prayer of Stephen that day, and God did something wonderful with it. And so, with this wonderful vision of heaven in his heart, and as he prayed for his enemies, it says that Stephen fell asleep. Fell asleep. You know, for us, when we go to sleep, we wake up (laughs) with the same problems (laughs) and the same trials, don't we? But this sleep that they're talking about here is when he woke up in the presence of his Savior. You know, as Christians, we don't see death as a final ending. And that's why often we see it referred to as falling asleep because we know that we would wake up in the presence of the Lord. You know, Stephen is a hero of our faith. He's somebody who lived like Jesus, somebody who spoke like Jesus, and he also died like Jesus. And he's somebody that we can pattern our lives off of. Now, here's the thing. We may not ever face the ultimate sacrifice of giving our life for our faith, but we are no less responsible to live and to speak for the cause of Christ. Just because we may not ever face that ultimate sacrifice, we still have the same responsibility because the challenge that Stephen uh, accepted of walking by faith and being filled with the Spirit is the same responsibility that we carry today in 2020 as New Testament believers. And I want to tell you this, if we would just but stand for Christ, we would also see and experience the same kind of power and the same kind of witness that happened in Stephen's life. But we must be willing to stand for God. We must be willing to stand up for him. The Apostle Paul, I believe, summed up the example of Stephen in a challenge to believers in Romans chapter 12, a familiar verse to us, where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I wonder if he paused as he wrote these words and thought about Stephen and the impact that he had and how he gave his life as a sacrifice so that Paul, later on when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, why are you kicking against the pricks? You remember that? Why are you kicking against how I'm coming after you? Some people believe it was that memory of Stephen that was continually haunting him and how he died with grace. He lived and died with grace. But we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice that is holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's a reasonable thing for us with a Savior who gave his life for us to live in this way. And he continues it, and be not conformed to this world. We like to stop at verse number one. <laughs> but now he gives, us the, he gives us the vehicle to make that happen. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good an acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we may never face giving our lives for the cause, but we should be willing to offer our lives today as a living sacrifice. 
We may never sacrifice our life on this earth for the cause of Jesus Christ, though one day we may. For some of us, maybe our children will face that. But all of us can offer our lives as a living sacrifice, willing to lay aside our flesh, willing to lay aside our will, willing to lay aside what we think is right or what society tells us is right to follow and bring glory to Jesus Christ. Stephen is our hero of the faith. He's a hero. You know, when you tell your kids stories of heroes and read them books, you need to always go back to this story and say, you know what, I want to share with you a real hero. Stephen, he gave his life. And because of what, how he died, man, God transformed somebody else's life and transformed the world for Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. Stephen is a great example for us to follow. So as we think about our own lives, ask yourself the question, am I living like Jesus Christ? Is there faith? Is there the Spirit moving? Am I speaking out like Jesus? Am I willing to stand up? Am I willing to share His truth with those that do not believe and those that may strongly disagree with us? Am I willing as well to have my life as a sacrifice, willing to die for Jesus Christ? We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.